Galatians chapter 4, and I, we may be in this text for a couple of weeks, I don't know yet, but I couldn't get it out of my head all week, and um, I tried to go several different directions, because I don't like to get bogged down in just one or two verses of scripture, but I'm probably going to get bogged down in this one for a, for a few weeks during this Christmas season, and I'm going to go ahead and warn you in advance, we're going to take a deep dive <laughs> right at the very beginning, and then we're going to swim for shallow waters after that, all right? I just want to get you... Um, I think sometimes our mind just needs to be, it needs to be boggled. It really needs to, to just be taken back to the, to the majesty, to the magnificence of God um, so that we worship him as he deserves to be worshipped. Sometimes we almost get too familiar with him and we think that we have wrapped our mind around him and that we comprehend him fully. And so we're going um, to take a little bit of a deep dive right um, at the start and then um, head for some more. For some, for some shallower waters with some more practical application um, to our lives. But if you look with me in Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4, and I don't want to take it out of context, but also don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the context either. Um, so I'll say a little bit about at the beginning, but, but then we're just going to move on. I, I, I really want to focus on the heart of these two verses. Um, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, But when the fullness... Of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive, or that we might be received, um, as the adoption of sons, and you could also say as the adoption of daughters. Um, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time that you have given to us together this morning, and we're thankful for your word, and I pray that you would help me. Um, to preach your word in a way that's clear, understandable, applicable to our lives. Um, help me to preach with the anointing, with the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Speak with clarity. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to receive um, with meekness um, your engrafted word this morning, that we might be challenged by it and changed by it. Um, we just give you um, the remainder of this service and ask you to do with this word what you will um, in our hearts and in our minds. Draw us closer to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Galatians chapter 4, um, just a little bit about the context. The whole book of Galatians is about a group of people who are essentially beginning to try to turn, not, not, not turn away from Jesus, um, but they, they've reached a place where they're believing because of some Judaizers that Jesus was not enough. And so they begin to institute parts of the law back into their lives again, such as the circumcision and the dietary laws. And so um, the, the whole premise of, 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 of Galatians is that the people were beginning to believe that something else besides faith in Jesus was essential. And so the whole book is Paul's argument against that. that and his argument is very simple, that Jesus is enough. Um, that our faith in him is what makes us um, the sons and the daughters of God. So in this particular part of the letter... Um, the Apostle Paul is explaining the purpose of the law. Um, the purpose of the law is very simple. It is to expose our sin. It is to um, condemn us in our sin and point us to the only solution for our sin, um, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look back at chapter, at chapter 4, verse 2, um, he said that we are, um, that, that that season of the law, that that period of the law um, was a season of being under tutors and governors until the time that was appointed by the Father. 
Uh, and so all the, the law, all the law was about, was a, it was a governor of our lives and a tutor in our lives to teach us about the holiness of God, to teach us about the righteousness of God, and to help us see that all of us have failed and fallen short of God's glory so that it could point us to the fact that we're sinners in need of a redeemer, and that redeemer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this, this is the phrase... And I can't just leave it with this phrase, so I'm probably going to break this, these verses down a little bit over the next couple of weeks. It's a good Christmas passage of Scripture anyway. Um, but, but the phrase that got caught in my mind, actually it was last Sunday afternoon. I was just sitting there um, Sunday afternoon. Um, honestly, my mind never shuts off really thinking about Scriptures and, and how they apply to our lives and the things that are going on around us. It's constantly... You know, I, yeah, I occupy myself with other things, but it's always, and I know it's part of the calling, but God keeps, he keeps bringing me back to his word and showing me how it applies here and how it applies there. And, and sometimes he just plants seed thoughts in my mind. Um, that's how I get my direction for where I want to go as far as the preaching is concerned. I, I want the Holy Spirit of God to lead me. I don't want to just pick a book and say, start here and go there. I want the Spirit of God to lead me. So this thought just got caught in my mind, and I knew the verse of Scripture. I knew where it come from. I preached it before, I'll preach it again, I'm sure. But this phrase got hung in my mind, and it's been there all week. In the fullness, when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come. Then God did what he did and sent his son. We're going to unpack that verse a little bit more um, in, in, in um, the couple of weeks ahead. But um, when the fullness of time, time has been stuck in my head all week, and, and it boils down to this. When God says it's time, then it's time. When God says it's time. Now, I'm, 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 one of the classes that I struggled with the most in high school was physics. <laughs> I did not understand physics, and I still don't understand physics. So I'm not trying to give you a physics lesson this morning. Um, but when you, when you think about the study of physics... Um, Einstein and Newton, um, all of those famous scientists that we know in the past that established so many elementary laws of, of physics, um, basically said the universe consisted of um, time, space, and matter. And that, and that what we see, what's materialized around us, required some kind of force or energy to be incorporated in time, space, and to produce matter. And for that matter to take on any form or substance, there had to be an energy or a force behind it. So the four dimensions would be um, time, space, matter, and energy. Um, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, and I, this, I didn't find this. I, I, I love answers in Genesis and Institution for Creation Research. Um, all of those scientists, um, they're Christian scientists. They're knowledgeable about um, very complicated things like physics and chemistry and and, um, and all that stuff. I love reading behind them because I think they give answers to a lot of the questions that we have and they solidify my faith that the Word of God is true. Um, but all of them um, will take you back to Genesis chapter 1 and say, if you want to look at the law of physics in one verse of Scripture, it says this, in the beginning, there's time. God created heaven, there's space and earth. And so that God created is the energy. I didn't put that in there. But in the beginning, you have time, and then God created. There's the energy of the or the force, the heaven, which is space in general, um, and the earth, which is matter, and everything that exists on this earth is made um, of matter. So um, that is, I, I think it's 
and I don't have time to unpack this, but I would challenge you if you want to go read some interesting stuff. God has revealed himself as triune in all kind of things. Um, time, space, and matter. There's a revelation of the triune God in that. Um, if you think about our creation, we are spirit, soul, and body. So the, tri- the triune nature of God is embedded in, in who we are as his creation. Um, and so that, you'll, you'll find that, th- those triplets repeated all through the scripture. Um, about God's creation and it is all a revelation of him but here's what I want you to understand this is where we're going to dive deep for just a minute and I'm not going to try to dive too deep because I'm not a very deep person but it did get my mind um, plunging into these depths and, and trying a little bit to wrap my mind around it but this is what I want you to see Genesis chapter 1, 1 presupposes that God was already there in fact, it even presupposes that the earth was already here, um, but that the earth needed a renovation that God gave it when he began to speak into it. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But God exists outside of all three of these. God exists outside of time. God exists outside of space. God exists outside of matter. All three of those things were created by God to fulfill his purposes um, in this world and to declare his glory. He's worthy of glory. He's the only one um, worthy of, of glory. Um, but when you say that God um, um, existed outside of these three, when you say that God existed outside of time, um, the doctrinal standpoint or the doctrinal position or the theological position of that is that God is eternal. Now, I want you, I know we don't like to think about this stuff because it boggles our mind. We don't like to think too deeply about stuff. <laughs> we can't comprehend but I want you to just think about this for a minute Um, God is eternal he exists outside of time he is uncreated now I could stop right there and we can just think on that for the rest of the service God created everything but nothing created God can you comprehend that me either God is, is, is self-existent and self-sufficient. He didn't need anything or anybody um, to bring him glory because he is glory all by himself. He is uncreated, self-existent, self-sufficient, outside of time. He fills all of space because the Bible says that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Um, he is working within time. Now, I don't know how to unpack this and, and, and make you see, but this is, this is the whole concept of God not having a beginning, but being the beginning of everything else is not something that we can wrap our human mind around. It's just not. We don't know anything else like that in all of the universe, which is part of the whole concept behind the statement that God is holy, is that there is none like him, that he stands alone, that he stands outside of everything that we can uh, comprehend. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, um, which introduces God as he introduces himself in this verse um, as the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity whose name is holy. Um, and, and a wonderful part of that verse is that even though he is outside of time and inhabiting eternity, 
uh, and who is in a high and holy place that none of us can comprehend. Uh, the Bible says that he doesn't just dwell in that place, but that he dwells in the places where people's hearts are contrite and humbled before him to revive us, um, to give us everything that we need. So um, he is beyond human comprehension. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end, but he existed before the beginning, and he exists after the end. Um, he is altogether the forever one. Um, I, I, we're fixing to move on from this because I, my mind can't handle much of it either. Um, in fact, I don't know that the eternal nature of God isn't one of the hardest things for me to process. Um, I, I, I can get a better grasp on what it means to have all power um, or what it means to, to, to have all knowledge, but it's hard for me to get a grasp on this thing that God is the great uncreated one that nothing existed before him, and that nothing will exist um, um, apart from that he created it for his glory. Um, I was reading something, in fact, I read something even last night along these same lines, but it was before, I, after I prepared for this. Um, I'll tell you something else beyond our human comprehension. When you look up at the sky at night, you know, we see the stars flung into the heavens, but and, and, and I, I will admit that I'm taking the word of the scientists on some of this, but they tell us that the nearest stars to us are 4,000 light years away. The, 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 light, the stars that we can see with our naked eye are 4,000 light years away. Now, I remember this from school, um, that the speed of light is 186,000 I don't remember all the last numbers, but the speed of light is basically 186,000 feet per second. So light traveling at a speed of 186,000 feet per second from those stars would take it 4,000 years to get to us. That's a long way away. <laughs> so essentially the light that we're seeing right now is light that left those stars 4,000 years ago. That's crazy, ain't it? That's beyond our ability to comprehend. I can't wrap my mind around that. Uh, maybe that's the reason men have been so fascinated with the heavens for so long, because they declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament um, reveals to us um, His nature, His character. Um. I can't fathom all those things. The thing that I saw last night, they got some of these really high-powered telescopes right now, and, and I thought that it was a picture of the starry sky, but it was a picture that one of those telescopes had just took a snapshot beyond our galaxy. And, and instead of stars that I was seeing, they, they, they say that that is other galaxies. And in that particular snapshot, they said there were 1.2 billion galaxies present, like ours. 1.2 billion. And they estimated that they hadn't been able to look beyond that yet. They don't have technology, but they estimated there to be 10 trillion galaxies like ours. Now, that's deep enough for me, all right? We just a pinprick, not even a pinprick. Um, when you consider that God has shown his favor to us on this little dot of a planet that we call earth and and loved us enough to, to create us in his image and to send his son to redeem us from our sin 
Um, that magnifies um, his loving nature. That magnifies his holiness and his love towards his people. So I can't comprehend anything, anything like that. My mind won't, won't compute that. But, but this is what I can comprehend. And this is what it all comes down to. When you start talking about theories of evolution and all that kind of stuff, um, Big Bang theories, for anything else to exist, especially anything that, that is in time, that occupies space and that consists of matter, that was obviously designed to exist, then, there, and like this, it had to have a designer. Is that simple enough? That pew didn't build itself. Somebody designed it. This phone didn't build itself. Somebody designed it. My body didn't build itself. Somebody did it. Listen, the earth is too, com everything around us is too complex, too intricately designed. It exists in time. Um, it exists, it fills space, and it is made of matter. And it didn't happen randomly and by accident. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't by chance. It was designed to function how it does, when it does, where it does. And so all of that points me back to the fact that there had to be an original cause. There had to be something, somebody that made all of this. And I can comprehend that. I can, comp I can wrap my mind around that. And so um, the Bible just presupposes that God eternally existed. I don't know what he was doing. Xander asked me one day. <laughs> These grandkids can boggle your mind sometimes with some questions that they ask. So he just came to me and he's like, so... God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm like, yep. And he said, how long ago did he do that? And I said, well, according to the Bible, about 6,000 years. And he said, but God was here before that. And I said, he was. And he said, for how long? And I said, forever. <laughs> I mean, what else do you say? He's just, he was here. Presuppose his existence. So then Xander asked me this question. What was he doing before he made us? I'm like, I don't know what he was doing. Forever's a long time. So what was he doing? And I said, I don't know. And he said, it's got to be in the Bible somewhere. And I'm like, I, I don't think that it is. And he said, you need to look for it harder. <laughs> he wants to know what God was doing. Well, here's the simple truth. God didn't tell us what he was doing for it then, so I don't know what he was doing. But God could have God, God could created a thousand planets or a million planets or a trillion planets just like this one. We, we could just be a, a tiny little sliver of his, of his plan from eternity past to eternity future. I don't know what God was doing. But what I can say is that he has revealed to us what he's doing now and why he's doing what he's doing and who we are to him and what he wants to do um, for us. So let's swim for sure now because <laughs> I don't know what he was doing before he created the earth. Um, but at some point in eternity past, God said it's time. At some point in eternity past, God said it's, it's time. And, 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 and you could say that about everything he did. At some point in eternity past, God said it's time and galaxies exploded into existence. You can say that God said it was time and stars and planets came into existence um, by the word of his mouth, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, that's what the Genesis word is, that out of nothing God spoke and something appeared. 
in, in, in time, occupying space and made of matter, this, this great energy of God, this great incomprehensible God spoke and it was. Uh, and what we know beyond that is that 6,000 years ago, the planet that we live on, according to the book of Genesis chapter 1, the planet that we live on was dark, wasted, and chaotic. Now, I don't have time to dig these scriptures out, um, but, it, but, it, but it, it appears to me that earth was already there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It was already there as a planet. It was already there in a galaxy. It already had a solar system. It already had what it needed. The light that God spoke into the world um, was the light of himself uh, and the sun and the moon. Um, he made them to rule over day and night. So when God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, he spoke to a world, to an earth, to a planet that was already here, but was very likely the habitation of the demonic. There's some other verses I could take you to um, that, that this planet was laid waste possibly by Satan and his demonic hordes, uh, and that God looked upon this wasted and chaotic and dark place, and, and, and when God said it's time, he spoke into this world almost 6,000 years ago and said, let there be light. And there was light. And he said, let there be life. And there was life. And he said, let me create man in my own image and let him in my image rule over this place. When God said it's time, he spoke the creation that we know right now and that we live in right now um, into existence. So God did what he did when he wanted to do it, and then he set a specific plan in place with a specific timeline to accomplish it. Now, I'm going somewhere with all this. When God set this plan into place, nothing has happened accidentally. Nothing has happened that God didn't ordain. My, I wish I could get, I'm going to get him to come preach sometime. I have a black pastor friend named Nathaniel Anderson. He's a very good, very gifted um, preacher. Um, and I'm still meditating on this thought, but I believe there's truth in it, and I believe there's a lot of scripture that backs it up. Everything that we can see existed in eternity past. If, if nowhere else, it existed in the mind and the heart of God, who is spirit. So when we exercise faith um, in that, it brings that into a physical existence. Now, I, I'm not going to dig any deeper in that than that, um, but, but, but what God did was had a plan and a purpose in place before he ever spoke into this world. When the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain, when was he slain? Before the foundation of the world. So God's plan for Christ was already in place before this world was ever created. Before man ever sinned, God had a remedy for sin. Um, man's sin didn't surprise God. He knew that man would sin. And he also had the plan of redemption in place, which is what, which is what Paul was laying out in Galatians chapter 4. In the fullness of time, exactly when it was time, when God said, it's time, he sent his son into the midst of this fallen creation to redeem it from sin's curse. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Um, nothing has ever been happenstance. From creation... Um, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, the plan that God has had has moved methodically forward without any, without any fail, without any falls, without any glitches, without any, without any pauses. Um, it has marched progressively forward with Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Now, when God said it's time, and this is what this passage of Scripture is getting at, when God said it's time, he split humanity's calendar in two. 
When God said it's time, he split planet Earth's calendar in two. So that now everybody on this planet, whether or not they call themselves atheist or agnostic or believer or whatever, everybody on this planet looks at their calendar and recognizes that the year is now 2023 A.D. Everything changed when the man Christ Jesus came. The whole world dates his calendar. People who don't believe in Jesus date their calendar 2023. God literally split the earth's calendar in two with Christ at the center of that calendar. Now, why did God do what he did at that particular time in history 2,000 years ago when he sent Christ into the world? Why then? Why did, why did God say in the fullness of time when, when everything had been done that needed to be done was done in the fullness of time when the time was just right God sent forth his son so why now I ain't going to pretend to know the mind of God but I believe he left some hints for us I want you to just think with me for a minute and, I'm, and then I'm going to bring this home and talk about how practically all this applies to our life it was a perfect time in human history um, there was a lot that the Romans did Rome, but the Romans led to a time of prosperity. In fact, a lot, a, a lot, a whole bunch of our government is based on the ancient Roman Empire. Um, not, not just the Word of God, but how the Romans set up things in their time. Um, a lot of our infrastructure is is based on how Rome did things. And so, the, the Roman Empire, which was the last great empire um, on this planet, it was a perfect time in history because they had established um, a large area of peace. Caesar Augustus was one of the driving forces behind that. You do a little bit of historical research and you'll see that the time that Jesus came, um, that the world around the Roman Empire was, was at relative peace. Now there was always conflicts and skirmishes that rose, um, but there was Roman peace. J Jesus entered into, that, that, into the world when, when nations were not in major conflict against one another. Have you ever heard the statement, all roads lead to Rome? So Jesus came into the heart of the Roman Empire at a time when, when nations of the world could come into that place at the same time. We read in Scripture um, how that there were people that were gathered together in those places from all over the earth uh, so that the gospel was heard. Um, Greek was a common language. You know, there wasn't a lot of language barriers in the Roman Empire because everybody learned, and in, in the, the term I think is Koinea Greek, which is common Greek. Um, it was a it was a Jews knew common Greek, Romans knew common Greek. Most of the nations around them in the Roman Empire understood a common Greek, so there wasn't a great big language barrier um, at the time. Religion and morality were on a downslide, and, and I, I really believe what part of the demise of the Roman Empire was that they that they they had gotten so unreligious and so immoral that they kind of imploded from within. But what happens when? Religion and morality is in decline. There's a vacuum. People begin to look for purpose. They begin to look for um, something that exists outside of themselves. And so that's a perfect time uh, for God to send his son into the midst of this um, darkness and, 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 and chaos. It's a perfect time in prophecy. I don't, I'm not going to go unpack all this. But if you go back and look in Daniel chapter 9 beginning in verse 24... Um, God established a timeline for the nation of Israel and he laid it out exactly how it would happen so that on the day, you can, you can go do the math or get you a good study Bible and look it up for yourself. Um, when you look at Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, um, Daniel, God told Daniel the exact day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
500 years after Daniel wrote that, Jesus came exactly at the right time. Um, so, so there was some anticipation going on, which is the third point. It was a perfect time in history. It was a perfect time in prophecy, and it was a perfect time for humanity because there were people watching. You remember them wise men? How'd they know when well, they saw a star? What they how, what they know about the star that they knew that there was a prophecy in the book of Genesis when Jacob was prophesying over his sons from Judah that a star, a scepter, would arise from Judah. They were studying the prophecies that were recorded by Daniel the prophet. They understood that that the time is right. The time is ripe. We understand that prophecy has pointed us to this place. And now all of humanity, there were people waiting. There were people longing. There were people expecting. There were people that were ready um, to receive a Messiah. The Jewish people were ready. They'd been 400 years and not heard the voice of God. They'd been 400 years and not had a speaking prophet. They had, the, they had Isaiah, Jeremiah, the written prophets, but they had no speaking prophet. The nation was hungry. They wanted to hear from heaven. They wanted to know God. They were awaiting their Messiah because they had been taught all of their lives that their, that their anointed one would come. So in the fullness of time, at the perfect time in history, at the perfect time in prophecy, at the perfect time in humanity, when people were waiting, longing, expecting, ready to hear, um, ready to believe, ready to see the Messiah, Jesus came. I think about Simeon and Anna, and I've preached on them before. Simeon's an old man, been in the temple all of his life. And the Bible says that he and Anna both were in the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel, which was Jesus. And when Jesus was eight days old and they took him in the temple, Simeon, who was, who was um, so up in age that I doubt, seriously, um, he could even see. But he knew when he lifted that child up and said, Lord, mine eyes have seen your promise. This is the one. Now let me depart in peace. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now y'all have heard, you've heard this statement before, timing is everything. I don't think we realize how important timing is in a lot of things. Timing in music. If you get music out of time, you got a mess on your hands, right? Timing is everything. When a man's trying to hit a baseball running 100 miles an hour with a bat, I mean, I've heard these daddies tell these boys when they watch that guy throwing the ball, time him. What do they mean by that? Get an idea of how long it takes for that ball to get out of his hand to cross that plate. Swing your bat and pretend like you're making contact with it because if your timing's off, you miss completely or you make a mess of it. Um, I, I know that this is mechanic language, but your car will not run unless it's properly timed. It won't. I mean, there are a lot of things that have to happen for an internal combustion engine to run. But the, but, the, but the most critical piece of all that is everything being in exactly the right place at the right time. Um, if you don't have that combustion chamber full of fuel and full of air and all the valves closed and everything's shut up at the same time, uh, and everything's opening and closing so fast you can't see it happen. But in a, and if you get that timing off just a little bit, your car will run raggedy or it won't run at all. But when all those pieces hit in exactly the right place at exactly the right time, you got a car that runs like a sewing machine. You don't, even you don't even know what's happening. And so when you think about the fullness of time, when you think about timing as everything, God does exactly what he does, exactly when uh, he, he does precisely what needs to be done, precisely when it needs to be done. 
Nothing is accident. Nothing is happenstance. Timing is everything for God. And if we not there, if, 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 if timing is not right, then everything is made a mess. And everything, um, or everything gets missed out on completely. Now, I'm going I'm to bring it home. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says this. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now, I think this is probably the last book Solomon wrote. He'd gone through his years of rebellion against God and against his will. But this is, this is Solomon writing and coming home to the truth of who God was and what God required of him. And part of the wisdom that Solomon gave us is that everything has a season. Everything has a purpose that is under the heaven. Now I'm going to just share with you three things that you already know, but I'm going to remind you of. Part of my job as a New Testament preacher is not to share with you new stuff, but to remind you of what you already know. And, and, and here's some truth from God's word. Your birth was by God's timing. There are no accidents in the economy of God when humans are conceived in the womb and born into this world. Your birth was by God's timing. Your life was not an accident. You were planned. I think we need to consider that more often. Your mom and daddy may have been trying to have a kid. They may have been trying not to have a kid. The circumstances of conception may not have been perfect for you. In fact, I would, I, this is one of the reasons I'm so staunchly pro-life is I don't believe the circumstances of conception reveal the value of a child's life. It doesn't matter how that conception occurred. That life itself is a gift from God. I don't think conception occurs outside of the will of God. Um, and I believe I can prove that scripturally. If you look at Psalm chapter 139, um, verse 13 and 17, David wrote this, For thou hast possessed my reins, my internal being. God, you have possessed it. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee before I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Listen to this verse. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. What's that verse say? God had the blueprint for our lives before we were ever conceived. What did David say? Your eyes saw my substance. Everything about me was in your book and was fashioned when there was yet none of that. When there wasn't any matter there, I still existed in the mind and the will and the purpose of God. You did. Our life is not by accident. It happened when it was supposed to happen. Conception occurred when it was supposed to occur. Our life, our birth was by God's timing. The second point is, it hits to that. Your life is by God's timing. You were conceived when God said it's time. You live your life in a season that God gave you. Um, just one verse, Esther chapter 4, verse 4. I think you can illustrate this all through God's Word and, and hold this together. It's not just one verse that speaks to this. Um, but, but the Jewish nation was in trouble. 
Esther was a very beautiful woman who had an audience with the king, um, a pagan king, and, and, and they were coming against the Jews just like Hitler came against the Jews to try to exterminate them. And so um, Mordecai actually is supposed to be verse 14. I probably didn't put the four on the end of it. I'm sorry, but she'll get to it. I just looked at that and realized that ain't the verse that I meant. I, I have typographical errors all the time. Zena doesn't know anything about them. There it goes. Mordecai is challenging Esther. She's, she's living in the king's house. She's one of the king's concubines. Um, and, and she didn't want to do anything. She, she's, she's like, I can't even go into his presence unless he invites me to come into his presence. And so she's in this argument with her uncle about whether or not she should go and try to do anything to save the Jewish nation. And that last phrase is probably one of the most popular phrases from the whole book of Esther. Mordecai asked her this question, Who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? And what is, he, what is he saying to Esther? You are where you are because God puts you there. You're the only one in this whole nation that has an audience with the king. We're at the point of being, uh, we're within days of being exterminated as a people. And, and God put you there now for a reason. Your life has a purpose in the season that God allows you to live it. Um, you are here right now for a reason and a season. That's true of every one of us here. Now, I think about it sometimes. Lord, I'd have loved to live back when this nation was founded. You know, you ever stood in the, you, you ever gone to the mountains and thought, I wonder what this looked like before anybody ever saw it. But God put me here now in this season, in this place, for his own reason and for his own purposes. Um, I wasn't conceived accidentally. It was by God's timing. The life that I've lived from, 1990, from 1966 till right now, um, is part of that season and part of that reason um, for my existence. And the same is true about the end of this life. Our conception is by God's time and our life is by God's time and our death will be by God's time. I'm, I'm, I'm learning more and more. I think COVID maybe helped solidify this for me. Um, I'm not going to be here one minute longer than God wants me to be here. I'm not going to leave here one minute earlier than God wants me to be here. I think the practical evidence of that is all through God's word. Um, he told Noah how long he was going to give him to preach before the flood came. Um, he told Abraham how long it was going to be before the nation of Israel inherited the promised land, 430 years. It's nailed down. He said the iniquity of the Amorites is not full, but when that iniquity is full... Then I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, and, and you're going to go inherit the land. Everything in God's Word has happened exactly according to His time, including the death of God's people. They tried, they tried over and over and over to kill the Apostle Paul. I believe Satan tried to kill him. Look at his, his biography in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he's talked about everything, how many times he'd been stoned and shipwrecked and snake-bitten and poisoned and robbed and in peril. His life was secure. He said in Philippian, I have a desire to depart, but to live is better for you. And I'm content right now 
to be who God wants me to be, where he wants me to be. And then later on he wrote to Timothy, um, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm ready now to be offered. He knew that his death was also in God's hand. Job chapter 7 and verse 1. Job says this, is there, not, is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? There is. Job knew that there was a day appointed for him to be born, a season appointed for him to live, and a day appointed for him to die. Um, our days are like the days of a hireling. We've got a certain amount of time to do what God has called us to do. And then our days come to an end. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We have an appointment that we will keep. Um, just like we kept that appointment with our birth, just like we're keeping this appointment with our life, we'll keep that appointment um, with our death. If you keep reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1, when, when you get to verse 11, there's something that's said there. I'm going to... Uh, I've asked Zinia to put it up in the New Living Translation because it makes it a little more clear without a whole lot of explanation. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We don't realize it all, but God made it beautiful for its own time. And he put eternity. King James Version says he has, he's put the world in our heart. But if you look up that term world, it literally is the same word that's been translated in other places in the scripture, everlasting. God has put everlasting in our heart. He's put himself in us. He is the eternal God. First attribute of his nature is that he preexisted um, everything else. So without Christ, the human heart is just like this planet used to be. The habitation of demons. It is, it's dark. It, it's wasted. Um, it, it's, it's void. It's chaotic. But when God says it's time. When God says it's time. There's an opportunity. For light and for life. To fill that emptiness that's in our heart. There's an opportunity for all of us. I believe this opportunity is given to everybody. That God has planted eternity in the human heart. That's everybody's heart. There's a longing for us that nothing in this world can feel except the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the timing is right in our life, God gives us the opportunity to speak into us the light and the life that comes through knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole first chapter of the book of John is about that very subject. John recorded and wrote John chapter 1 to be a reflection of Genesis 1. Um, that what God did for this creation, he wants to do in every human being's heart and that is to speak light and life and purpose into um, into their hearts the light of Christ the life of Christ and the purpose of Christ into our lives <clears throat> there's an opportunity for everybody to fill that void in their life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says I have heard thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation I have succored thee I have helped thee behold now is the accepted time Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when God says it's time, there's an opportunity for us to be saved. And if you've done that, if, if, you've, if you've reached that place in your life where you recognize there's a void in me, 
that, that can't be filled with anything in this world. It has to be filled with something that's out of this world. It has to be filled with something transcendent, something that's eternal, something that's outside of time and space and matter, something, something that completes who I am. And so God speaks when, 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 that, when that opportunity presents itself in our life. God speaks light. He speaks life. And he makes us into his image and says exercise dominion over that that I have created. Now, when you do that, when we do that, then our heart has the presence, power, and purpose of Christ in it. And so what do we do with that? Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. The night is far spent the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That, that 11th verse says, knowing the time, knowing the time, it's time for us to wake up out of our sleep because our salvation is nearer than we believe. There's a hint there of another time. We're in a, they call the season of Christmas the season of Advent. And for the Jewish people, it was the, it was the coming of the Messiah. For us, it was the coming of the Messiah. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. That's what we celebrate Christmas. But I'm going to tell you something, and we need to remember this. In the fullness of time, God's going to send back His Son. And we got this one season of our life to do something that makes a difference, that points people to Him, and that brings Him glory and honor. Um, it's time on God's calendar for us to be who He's called us to be, to shine His light, to be his life, to be his representatives in this world that we live in. That's the only way we fulfill our purpose. I'm, one more verse and I'm done. But somebody, this was, this was strange to me because I had just finished preparing the message and I've been counseling somebody, trying to help them the last few weeks. It's just going through a bad time in their life. And um, it was Friday afternoon and he, had, he has one of those desk calendars and he... I just finished up my preparation for the sermon. And he sent me a picture because I talked to him the night before and he was pretty down. But he was seeing some things begin to happen that he thought, you know, were maybe God. I, I, I told him people call it God winks when, when God does this. But he sent me a picture of his calendar for December the 1st and it had Acts chapter 3 verse 21 on it. And it said um, about Jesus that he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so he was reading from a different translation than I just read from. Um, but, but basically that translation says God does everything in his own time for his own purpose, for his own glory. Because I've been telling him over and over, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep walking with God. Keep doing, do, keep doing His will. And when the time is right, God will restore that which you've lost, that which is broken. Um, there's going to come a time when God says there's, that time will be no more. And then we exist with Him outside of time for all eternity. 
<clears throat> your life's not an accident. Your birth's not an accident. Your life's not an accident. Your death won't be an accident. It don't matter what the world calls it. It's going to all be in God's timing. What's important is that we take this season that God has blessed us with right now, this beautiful season of our life that God has blessed us with, and live it for His glory. Because there's, there's, there's coming a day that He's coming again when God says, it's time. It'll be time. Let's stand together. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I don't know if anybody's followed anything I've said this morning, but I'm, my mind has been both humbled by considering your eternal nature and it's also been exhorted that nothing in my life has ever been happenstance nothing has ever been by accident I'm not just a a nameless face nor any of these people in this building in the vastness of this cosmos that you've created you've got a plan and a purpose a time and a season for each one of us and you've given us the, the, the privilege the, the freedom to choose whether or not we come into alignment with this time and with this season that's another part of being made in your image we can act in our own freedom and our own liberty to either bow before you or to resist and reject you we'll never find our purpose we'll never be fulfilled we'll never be content we'll never have light we'll never have life we'll never have eternity unless we say yes to you and so I pray Lord today is the day you said in your word today not tomorrow not yesterday but today is the day of salvation now is the acceptable time so Lord, maybe there's somebody here who needs to be saved. This is their time. Maybe there's somebody that realizes they wasted a whole bunch of their life in frivolous pursuits. And this is the time. Now it's time uh, for them to begin to live with you as Lord, with you as Master. And so I just pray you'd have your will and your way in this invitation. Do what you do. And we'll glorify you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.